to another episode of We The Scenario. I'm your host, Tony Siona, alongside the incomparable Miss Maggie B. Before we get started, I'd like to send some real love and appreciation to all the hardworking students and essential workers across America and even the globe. I really hate the fact that this is happening, and I'm completely proud of all of you. Beast mode is activated in you, and I love it. To my government, get it together and do it fast. You're playing with a lot of lives with no regard. Look in your hearts and find the common ground before we implode. Now, back to why we are here. Today, we have a very special guest on the show, an alumni of Xavier University in Louisiana, also the Tulane School of Medicine and the Tulane School of Public Health and Tropical Medicine, the founder, national president, and executive director of the Comprehensive Medical Mentoring Program. Please welcome Dr. Byron Jasper. Thank you for joining us, brother. Hey, thank y'all for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity and uh, just a fan of we lead ours and a lot of the work they do definitely helps inspire some of the things we do with comprehensive medical mentoring program. So I appreciate the opportunity to speak with you all. Well, thank you for uh, blessing us with this time. At this moment, I'm going to pass it on to my comparable Miss Maggie B. Miss Maggie B, please take the floor, ma'am. Well, cool. so welcome, Dr. Jasper, again, and thank you for joining us today. Um, to get started, can you just talk a little bit about who you are and what you do and why you decided to join us on today's show? Yeah, uh, so um, for better or for worse, I talk a lot. So I'll, if I ever get to the point where I'm going way too long, just go ahead and give me a little uh, hand raise or something because I can definitely talk a lot. So uh, who I am, um, again, you kind of said it, a uh, gentleman who's been to a lot of schooling and did a lot of stuff that is often focused around taking care of other people. Uh, being a physician, a lot of the people that go into the medical field are often blessed with the mindset of putting uh, others before self. So if we're often blessed with that mindset, it's often one of those things where we go into trying to help others as much as we can. So my mentoring uh, organization um, actually started when I was a fellow. Um, I did a fellowship after I did residency. So for anybody who's on, uh, we go through a lot of school and a lot of training. So we do four years of college, four years of medical school. Then we have to do something called residency. And depending on what field you go into, the smallest residency is three years. So I did three years of residency. Then after residency, you're officially able to be a full-fledged doctor. But instead, I did two additional years of training or subspecialty training. And those two years is when I actually started the Comprehensive Medical Mentoring Program, which was meant to be a four to eight week crash course on how to get into medical school. Um, since that time, when I did the actual four to eight week course for the first time, we've grown into a nonprofit organization that's actually based in two states and slowly moving towards uh, a third state. So we are um, working on getting more minorities into the medical field. Um, the people of color are often the people that are often disenfranchised by the medical system, and they very much so need care that is a lot different than the majority. And by us being that group of people who have done the medical training, we probably know better how to take care of those people of color. So we're looking to try to get students that are students of color into the medical field to help take care of the people of color that need it most. And that is just one of the things that I spend a ton of time doing is on top of all of the medical and clinical training on a day-to-day -day basis. That's so awesome. Um, so how how did you found the Comprehensive Medical Mentoring Program? Like, how did it go mm -hmm. from how it started to the 501 or to the nonprofit that it is today? Um, and you just kind of touched on it, but can you talk a little bit more about why it is so critically important to support minority students in pursuing education and careers in medicine? Yeah, so... The idea of the, uh, we, you know, we go by CMMP. So the idea of CMMP came up with 
me going through an experience in my medical career and my medical training, which I'm sure we'll talk about, where I knew I needed help and I needed someone to help me get to the next step. And the next step came as a result of me having a mentor. And by me having that mentor in the medical field, it absolutely empowered me to consider doing that for other people. So the idea started out as we have to do a program or something to impact the people of Washington, D.C., which is where the uh, program actually started. And for me, I could have done something on clinical medicine, uh, high blood pressure, diabetes, obesity, one of those. But to me, that wasn't what I really wanted to do. So I actually came up with the idea of doing a mentoring program, which was, again, trying to get more minorities into the medical field because there's a huge need and a huge gap of how many people that are sick that look like black and brown people compared to those that are doing the care for those black and brown people. So for me, I went on ahead and started the program based on that mindset of, I'd like to mentor those people and why we need to have mentoring um, was something that just kind of is an ever-present thing. So that combination is kind of what led me to start. And the idea that goes into it is we, uh, and I often say black and brown people, have a huge obstacle in front of us when it comes to a lot of successes, right? So if we're talking about being owners of franchises, whether it's a sports franchise or a business franchise or a restaurant franchise, it's a lot of obstacles to get to that level. So we often have to find a way to get around or over or under those obstacles to be successful. So the students that we take care of and mentor and help are going through a lot of obstacles, whether it's the cost of going to school, um, not having the grades, having to work a job and go to school at the same time, having to care for someone in the family who's sick. Uh, we run into a number of obstacles that people of color know what it is because we deal with it all the time, but those that are in the majority often don't. So we're looked at as, well, why didn't your grades look as good as so-and-so's? And it's, well, so-and-so just has to go to school. I have to go to school. I got to do two jobs and I have to also hold down an extracurricular activity just to get my name on the actual application. So we have that mindset and we know that we can outwork anybody. We know that we have probably as much talent, if not more than most people. But a lot of times we still run into obstacles that can be discouraging. So we are trying to mentor and eliminate those obstacles, but also encourage people to keep going when you run into them. Because a lot of us who have been doctors, CEOs and everything else, we've been through those same obstacles. We just found a way to get around them. So if we can do it, a lot of the students that come after us can do it, too. I have a good question for you, Doc. Yes, sir. I consider you want to get more minorities into this field. What are some of the obstacles you're facing trying to get them even interested in it? Uh, yeah, just after what you said about the four years of school and four years of residency, it just starts piling up. And on a young mind, I know that can take a toll. So yeah, I do face that. Yeah. So I think the biggest thing that's an obstacle for a lot of people going into the medical field is the time frame by which you have to be locked in in order to get that payoff. And the other big obstacle is the cost. So a lot of times people have a huge burden of getting some type of financial uh, financial help, if you will, to get into college, to get into med school, to get into uh, dental school, law school, uh, graduate school. So the idea is, number one, I can get out of high school, start working and making money, or I can go to school for an X amount of years and delay making money, go further into debt, and then come out and start making money five, six, seven, ten 10 years later. Most people are looking and they want the early payoff. But the thing that I often tell my students is that you don't realize that the more work you put in before you start getting paid, 
the higher that paycheck will be. So a lot of the people who go into a quick payoff will miss out on the long-term actual financial gain. So even though you go into a bigger debt, if you will, if you're able to withstand that actual time frame of not having income, or you're able to take out those loans and you do it the right way, there's a way you're going to recoup that money to the point where that money is going to start flowing in in abundance. And you're going to eventually have generational wealth to the point where your family and your family that comes after you is going to be taken care of. So it's about knowing what you're doing. And that's why you need mentors around, right? Those mentors can help you set up that portfolio, help you set up your academic application, help you know where to get financial aid, help you know where to get scholarships, help you know where to get internships to where that financial burden that usually seems really exorbitant, seems extremely high, is really not that bad. And it's because you have people who have done it before. But a lot of times students don't think like that. A lot of the people of color, brown people, black people especially, are prideful people. Some of the best and worst things are that the pride that we have can help us get over a lot, but it also makes it to where we distance ourselves from getting help when we need it most. So I try to always encourage students to not be the most prideful and say, I'm gonna do it by myself because you often think you can, which is great, but then you'll end up missing out on an opportunity to get help where you need it most. And then that actual help could uh, offload a lot of the burden you'll have, a lot of the problems you'll run into. So asking for help, getting a mentor, sticking with the long game will actually pay off a lot more for a lot of people compared to those that are like, look, I got a job waiting for me as soon as I get done with this level. Sounds good. And it's probably going to be helpful in the short term. But 5, 10, 15 years from now, which sounds like a long time, flies by. And next thing you know, you're like, I should have been a little bit more steadfast and waiting to get that payoff. Nice. Thank you so much for touching on that kind of short payoff, short game versus the long game. I think that's something that you're right. A lot of our young people um, are dealing with right now. And it's really tempting to just go after something that like, okay, get rich quick, that kind of thing. Um, but in addition to kind of financial um, financial gains and money um, that you just talked about, what what's another or a few other really rewarding things that you've found um, in being a doctor throughout your career? I think the idea that I talk about all the time with students and um, again, I, I actually work in a residency at the moment. So I'm actually teaching doctors how to be doctors. So I do a lot of academic teachings in classrooms and also teachings in the hospital, teachings in the clinic. And the things I often tell my residents is that the thing that probably rewards you the most is knowing that people will trust and believe in you when you give them advice. A person who will come to me and say, Doc, I'm sick. I don't know what's going on, but I really need your help and literally takes their life and puts it in your hands. And you're able to take that life and shape it and mold it to get them back on their feet. is probably one of the greatest feelings you'll ever have. Um, I'm in family medicine, so a lot of people don't know about the uh, wide range of stuff we do in family medicine. I've actually taken care of newborn babies. I've delivered babies. I've taken care of elderly people. I've worked in nursing homes, hospitals outpatient clinics. I've worked on sidelines at college games. I've worked at sidelines at high school games. Um, you name it, I've done a little bit of everything. And the idea of me doing that is because I went into a field that I felt like I could do a little bit of everything. I didn't want to super specialize in one thing and one thing only. And it's nothing wrong if you choose to do that. But I mentioned that to say the amount of people that I come into contact with on a daily basis from little small children to those that are elderly and have great grandchildren 
is one of the most rewarding experiences because all of them trust me with their families and their family's health. And they are the people that often say, look, before I do anything, I got to call my doctor. And it can be two other doctors they're seeing. They'll have to leave that doctor's office and pick up the phone and call me and say, what do you think I should do? And that's a trust that you can't get in a lot of places. But that tells me I'm doing something right if people put that trust in me on a lot of different levels. Yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, being a doctor is obviously such an important job always and especially right now, um, given the pandemic and everything that's going on. Um, taking a step back, you, you've been speaking a lot about mentorship and you mentioned at some point in your life, you realized you needed a mentor and you needed help and you took that step and asked for help. Can you talk a little bit more about um, what that looked like for you and how you decided to ask for help and then what ended up happening with that? Absolutely. So uh, it's a story that a lot of people who know me well, especially those that are in the medical field know, I tell the story frequently. A lot of people see Dr. Jasper and they think Dr. Jasper had it on easy street. Well, I'm basically like everybody else who's probably on this call, and I've had plenty of failures. And I'll tell people the biggest failure that I had, which is probably something that's shocking to a lot of people, but it's something that I'm basically, in a way, proud of that it happened because it kind of helped my mindset where it is today. We have a test in medical school called Step 1. And Step 1 is the test that you take between your second year of medical school and your third year of medical school. So your first two years of medical school is in the classroom. So you're in the classroom with a professor or a doctor or whoever you wanna call it and you're learning textbook clinical medicine. Then in the third year, you go into the hospitals and the clinics and start seeing patients in that clinical setting. So between those two years, you have to pass to prove that you can get into the hospital and start taking care of patients. That step one exam is an eight hour exam. It takes about $500 to sit for the exam. And then you have to pay for all the study materials to actually prepare for the exam. So I want people to realize for an eight hour exam, that's a full day. And I had to pay $500 just to take the test, not counting the cost of the test itself. I'm mean, uh, not counting the cost of the, uh, the study materials as well. I failed that test three times, three times. I failed a eight hour test. So if you can do math, eight times three is 24. So for a full 24 hours, I was a failure. And for those 24 hours, $500 each time. So that's $1,500 lost that I can't get back on top of all the materials. So in that third failure, they actually put me on probation. They told me they would kick me out of medical school if I didn't pass the last test. So needless to say, I passed that last test, but I passed it as the result of a mentor. My mentor came and said, and it was funny, he wasn't my mentor. He was a doctor that I worked with and I knew him for another uh, reason. And he was like, uh, Byron, because I wasn't Dr. Jasper at the time. He's like, Byron, I don't have any problem with you on the clinical side. You know the information. You just don't know how to take the test. You have to learn how to take the test. And he literally sat me down and said, this is what you need to do to pass your test. And when he gave me the blueprint on how to pass the test, I did exactly what he told me. I put my trust in the mentor because he had been there before. And he literally told me what to do. And I listened and I passed on that first try. So imagine if I had a mentor before the first three times, I wouldn't be $1,500 poor and I would have actually had 25 hours back to my actual life. So I say that story to give people not the sense of, oh, wow, he made it and it's an amazing thing. I mean, that's great, too. But I'm trying to explain to people, you're going to have failures. Everybody who's been successful, who's a champion, a CEO has lost, has failed, has had financial setbacks. 
there's no way you can be at the top of your game without having a failure. So don't take failure as the end result. Failure is actually the launching pad for success because once you make a mistake and you fail, you know what not to do. So I tell all my students often, if you don't pass, you don't fail, you don't get the score you want, it just sets you up to have a better comeback. So as long as you have that mindset, it's gonna change and people will actually get further along in the actual life that they're going to live as long as they remember that failure is just the stepping stone to success. That's great, man. That's inspirational. Mm -hmm. um, I want to switch up real quick. Um, I want to ask you, since March, since the start of this pandemic, how has the medical profession changed during this? Yeah. So I'd say uh, it depends on the field, right? Some fields, it's definitely a real huge drastic change. Some fields, a little bit less. Mine is kind of in the middle. So me doing mostly outpatient medicine, I see people in a clinical setting. So I'm not in the hospital as much. So for me, it's a huge change because we're used to having waiting rooms full of people, people waiting and waiting and waiting, and then you're just moving them in and out of the clinic one by one. And it's now where the waiting rooms are really, really bare. The visits are usually a lot more distanced, if you will, because it used to be where you'd have multiple people in the room with you at the same time, and that's changed. And the other thing is I think people, for the most part, are taking it a lot more seriously when they end up coming to a clinic or a hospital because those that aren't sick don't realize how bad it is. But when you actually show up and you see other people who are sick or if not sicker, you start to kind of realize that this is a, this is real, right? It's not a game anymore. It's not just what you see on TV where people are doing things and having fun and actually going out and you know being in these large crowds. It's to the point where when you show up to my office and you see people in the hospital, you're like, well, this is a different picture of what I'm seeing on TV. So I think it definitely changed the family medicine side to where people are realizing that you have to take better care of yourself prior to something happening. And we have a lot more people who are showing up and getting care in a preventative fashion, as opposed to what we call a sick fashion, where you say, look, I feel ill, now I'm gonna show up. We're having people show up and wanting to get their blood pressure down, their cholesterol down, their diabetes under control, wanting to learn about their diet and the medications they take on a consistent basis. So that's a, a good thing. I think it shouldn't take a pandemic for that to happen, but at the end of the day, you got to do what you got to do to get people in the door and take care of them when they show up. And okay, so this pandemic, did it affect the work that you had at uh, CMMP and at the Bajor Clinic? I think so. I would say the CMMP side is, again, we're seeing a huge need now that the pandemic kicked up that we need more doctors of color. We need more nurse practitioners of color, more physical therapists of color, because again, who can take better care of your people than you? I have no idea. And if you don't realize that you are gonna take better care of your family members and people that look like you and speak the language you speak, if you don't realize that by now, then I don't know what's gonna happen. So I sit in these <laughs> boardrooms all the time and I argue with people all the time. Um, sure I'll do. say um, a lot of the words I use aren't appropriate for this Zoom, but the idea is that I'm telling people, look, our people may not have the scores that everybody else has. We may not take the standardized test as well as everyone else, but put us in the right situation and you're going to want us on your team. So once we get in the door, you can't get us out because we're that good. So oftentimes the pandemic will show us that we are needed and we already know we're good, but it gives us a platform to show our skills. So even though you may not want to step into that window of doing stuff that other people don't have to do, I look at it as sometimes that's the opportunity where nobody else wants the job. But if you go in and you do a damn good job, you're going to realize that you have a spot that can't be replaced. 
So I think the pandemic has set up a lot of people in ways that they don't realize it as long as they can have a really wide-eyed view and not say, I'm looking at this one small part of it, right? This one right. small detail. It'll give you access when you don't necessarily have access because they're opening up a lot of volunteer opportunities to students of color and people of color where they normally wouldn't do that. They're, act, they're asking you to do internships and uh, doing jobs that may not necessarily be the most attractive, but it's giving you an opportunity that otherwise wouldn't be there. So the pandemic has helped in some ways to shine a light on places where we, people of color, can be effective and also lead when other people are less likely to do that. Right. And I got one more before I pass this off to Maggie. Yeah. Now, because you're in a position as a doctor, mm -hmm. do you think our government handled this pandemic properly? I don't think so. I think, honestly, they could have done a better job of informing the people. I think they also could have done a better job of trying to get things in place prior to stuff taking a turn for the worse. If you are a person who follows a lot of politics, that's fine. But if you're a person who follows world news, which I encourage everybody on here to do, I know it's tough to start thinking about looking at the news of another country and all that. But if you're watching the world news, which I do every so often, I'm not going to act like I watch world news every day. But there was reports in the 2019, uh, the fall of 2019, that this was coming. And that was something that was reported frequently. And if you're a person who's watching the news, you're going to say, OK, well, I see something's coming. Let me get ready for it. I'm in Louisiana and I don't think we mentioned that, but I'm at uh, Southern Louisiana right now. So there's a hurricane coming in the next 24 to 48 hours. So we don't sit there and say, well, we're going to wait till it get here and then we're going to start doing stuff. We're actually preparing as we speak. So if you're preparing for the actual pandemic before it hits, you're going to have a lot less tragedy, a lot less economic problems and a lot less uh, problems overall for a lot of people because you're prepared. And I think they could have done a better job of in preparation. And now we're basically in catch up mode, which is never the place to be. You always in, in health, you want to be proactive and not reactive. If you're proactive, you're the person leading the charge. If you're reactive, you're always following the pack. So if you're proactive with healthcare, you're proactive at how you take care of yourself when you go and get medical advice, all of that, usually you're doing a lot better than the person who's reactive. I appreciate that answer, man. Thank you. Uh at this time, uh, I'm going to pass it on to Maggie and Dr. Taylor and any of my cats or my knights have any questions, find the time to put it in the chat so we can get them to the doc. All right. Yeah. Go absolutely. ahead, Ms. Maggie. Nice. Thank you. Um, I just want to touch on a point that you just made about watching or reading news from other countries um, for any of our young people on this call today. That's um, something that can be really helpful to do because um, a lot of times news in the US can be really biased based on who's reporting it. So if you watch news or read news from like BBC, for example, it's gonna give you the news that's coming from the United States, but without any of that bias. So that's just a side note for everyone. Absolutely, oh, and I'm glad you mentioned that because again, a lot of people think if it's from America, that means it's the best thing ever and it's the only thing. And that's just the way a lot of people are taught, but it's not the case. And I'm glad other people are starting to realize that by looking out outward and not always inward. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, at the beginning of this interview, you mentioned, um, and I'm gonna paraphrase here, but something like um, a lot of people in the medical profession, your profession are people that put others before themselves. Um, and that's why they go into a helping profession like yeah. medicine. Um, but um, as we know, self-care is really, really important. Um, so what, what do you do um, for self-care? What are some of your self-care techniques? Um, and how do you 
how do you cope when um, you're tempted to kind of always be putting others before yourself and putting your own needs, <clears throat> excuse yeah. me, on the back burner? Yeah, sure. So I always preach to anyone who will listen um, or educate or whatever the term you will use about balance. You have to be balanced. Like as much as you work, you have to have time to relax. As much as you relax, you got to work. And if you're not balanced in doing things in a very effective way, um, a lot of times you basically don't have the most success that you could. So what I often tell people is to work on being balanced of putting in as much studying as you can, but having as much time as needed to recover. So for me, uh, it's funny enough, when I was in medical school, as I mentioned before, um, I needed money. Um, I was getting to the point where I was bleeding money from taking tests and I, uh, I didn't have parents that had a lot of money. I had to take out a ton of scholarships and I was able to work, but I didn't have enough time to go to a regular job. So I had to find a way to make money on the side. So I actually picked up DJing. So I actually bought two turntables and a mixer and I taught myself how to DJ. And I actually DJed on weekends and did random events to make money. I DJed at random weddings, uh, college uh, classmates, myself and uh, Dwayne have been uh, friends with. I've DJed their weddings. I've DJed baby showers, you name it. I've actually done some very weird events, but it's to make money. And it was uh, something I did because I had to, but then I ended up having a passion for it because I love music. I love the idea of watching DJs that are really good do what they do and just see how they master the music. And for me, that's my balance. So when I'm really stressed and I've had a long day, I'll go into my actual room where I have my turntables and my mixer and my speakers and I start DJing and four hours have went by and I don't even realize it because I've been putting on song after song after song and I record it and I put it on the internet and I sit, share it with my friends. And, you know, it's one of those things for me that I'm not going to get the most, you know, uh, publicity. You probably won't ever see me on someone's TV being a DJ unless somebody just feels really sorry for me, which is, it's okay. I, I'll take that. But the idea is for me, it's what balances me. And I say that to say it could be sports for other people. It could be reading. It could be going on family vacations. It could be cooking, but find that thing that helps you get away. And it doesn't always have to be the most expensive thing. It doesn't have to be the most grand or grandiose thing. It's more so doing what helps you calm down, release, relax, and let go all the stress. So if you're balanced, it'll help you get better. And also it'll help you realize when you're going too much. And when you're doing too much, you'll say, okay, now I'm going to do this to relieve some of that stress. As soon as you do that, you'll be able to be refreshed and then get back to it. Nice. That's super cool. Um, Dwayne wants to know how we can all find your music and do you have a YouTube channel? Yes. <laughs> it's funny because I've been told I need to get a YouTube channel, but I probably don't have nearly as much time, but I have a Mixcloud is the name of the website that I use. So it's www.mixcloud.com slash DJ Supreme Soul. So um, I'll put it in the actual chat for people. Um, some of it is not safe for work. So let's just start there. Some of it is definitely not appropriate for every age. But uh, I'm just be honest. I'm my, I am who I am. I tell people who I am. Um, I listen to music that has trap music in it. Uh, profanity is in there sometimes. But that's what, how I grew up. That's how my family is. So I'm going to be me. And I want people to enjoy who they are and not feel like you have to change who you are because other people are watching. That to me is definitely a huge turn where you're going in the wrong direction. So if you're yourself and you're your authentic self, you're going to be able to be in a space that people will believe in you and say, we know Dr. Jasper. We know that he, as we say in the South, he's ratchet. And that's okay, because I know when to turn it on and when to turn it off. There's nothing wrong with that. So I want you to be yourself. 
but not be ashamed of that. Hence why I said, look, here's my DJ information. Go ahead and knock yourself out. But as long as you know that Dr. Jasper still will get in that clinic, handle his business, take care of you and your family, I can still throw down on the turntables and you'll still respect me. I'm a savage. No. Yeah. There you go. There you go. <laughs> and that's part of that balance too, right? Like the balance you were just talking about, but also balancing like professionalism and personal life and having fun. I think that's Absolutely. an important point. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so I want to bring on um, my coworker, John. He works for Wheelo, also doing some work for Toupay this year. Um, he has a question. So John, go ahead. I have many questions. Absolutely. So I'm gonna try and get, I'm gonna try and get to the relevant stuff. But I recently graduated from Xavier University. All right. There we go. There we go. <laughs> and right now I'm trying to figure out innovative ways to make an impact. Mm -hmm. Like while I'm applying to medical school right now, I'm taking a prep course with Princeton. Mm -hmm. Very arduous. Mm -hmm. But I'm also I want. I want to get experiences that are relevant to an admissions committee, something, something of high caliber like Stanford or UCSF in particular, just mm -hmm. to stay local. So what would you recommend a fresh college graduate do in order to get those experiences in a time like this? Yeah, so it's tougher in a time like this. I'd say the ultimate thing is to start networking and making connections. So as hard as it is to do that in a pandemic where you can't go out and socialize and be in certain spaces, you have to find a way to make that networking happen. So uh, believe it or not, uh, if you're at CMMP or you're with CMMP, we actually have a pretty huge network. And if you're down with us to an extent, we'll try to do our best to put you in contact with people who may be in the spaces that you're looking to get into. And that's probably going to save you a lot of time and effort of trying to figure out how to do it yourself. Hence the mentoring piece, right? Hence making the connections with those people who can help you put your foot in the door where you're not able to get into. But the biggest thing is you may feel like you don't have those connections, which funny enough, you may not in an essence have the knowledge of, but you're going to be the person that ends up giving those connections to people that come behind you. So there are people out there who want to help you. You just got to find them. And it means you have to go looking in places you may not always look. So UCSF or uh, Stanford or UCLA, they may be the places you think of, but they're not the places that are going to always give you the opportunity. Nothing's wrong with them if they do great, but you may have to look at other places. And when you start looking at those other places, you discredit them sometimes because they are not the big name, but somebody at that place may actually know somebody at the big name place. So I think you got to look in all places, high, low, and don't look and say, well, look, that opportunity doesn't look that good. I'm not really a fan of it, so I'm going to stick with this one. Trust me, believe it or not, as much as I've done that, I've learned that some of the places that I don't want to go are the places that get me into where I want to go. So I think you have to have that open spectrum of where you're looking, never really turn down anything unless you just flat out know it's not for you. And then you'll be surprised that you'll get into those spaces by getting those mentors, making those connections and being open to the idea of doing what you need to do, even if it's not always what you want to do when you want to do it. Okay, okay. Also, I, I noticed an alarming statistic also, and I just wanted to hear your thoughts on it just because I'm curious. So I was on the AAMC website and I was looking at the matriculants for the 2019-2020 school year and I looked at their GPAs and their MCAT score because I have to see what I'm up against. Right. 
but it was interesting that I went to the GPA and MCAT score by ethnicity document. And I noticed that people that identify as black didn't need, who were accepted, didn't even make the 500 base score, mm -hmm. but like they were still accepted. Mm -hmm. And so why do you think people that identify as black that apply to med school, there's already less, there were less applicants and they had lower scale scores. So what do you think the issue with that is compared to the other ethnicities? Well, I think it depends on what kind of test you're taking, right? Um, it's mm -hmm. funny because I was in a conference one time and we were in a conference where there was a multicultural conference meeting. So it's a big meeting and the meeting was with everybody, but in the multicultural space, we were having a talk about one of the test takers was a student who took the SATs. And if it wasn't the SATs, they were taking an IQ test, one of the two. But the question that the student got wrong had nothing to do with basic academics. It had to do with stuff that is not familiar to that student. So specifically, they were talking about at the dinner table, which fork do you use to eat salad? And she was like, we only use one fork. So what the hell are they talking about? Because in my family, we don't have five forks to eat. So we use one. So she got the question wrong. And it was a very, very biased question. So the bias is there oftentimes when it comes to standardized testing and when it comes to academics, because the classes and the things you're taking don't apply to how you were raised or what you're experiencing. So it's hard for you to, uh, to make the grades and achieve in that atmosphere. So my opinion oftentimes is academics in a way tells you a piece of the story. But I also want to know the story of the person. I want to know what they've been through. I want to know where they come from. I want to know who they're associating with to the point where I want to see how they work under pressure. Because I can say a person who can take a test is great, but that's only when a test is being given to them in a very controlled environment. I want the person who can take a test in a very good sense of the word, but also can handle a lot of stress, can take care of a lot of things that are given to them at one time and able to balance and do things effectively. So I think that grade GPA thing is often a very one-sided story. You'll see people look at that and they'll all of a sudden think people of color, black people don't have the grades and they're just being let in and blah, 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 blah. But again, come to our neighborhoods, see how much we handle on a daily basis. So even though we didn't pass the etiquette test, we may still be able to show you that we can hold down two jobs and still make decent grades. Whereas the other person who passed the etiquette test can't handle but one after school course. So I think there's a whole different mindset that people don't have. And when you start to learn who people are beyond that test, beyond that textbook, you'll start to say, okay, this person fits more in line with what we're trying to do. That's who we want on our team. I hope that answers your question, John. You got some more? I just have one more. It's my last question, my last big question that I can have in this controlled setting. Yeah. So as I as I'm putting together my application for med school, the personal statement is one of the most critical pieces because like you said, it offsets all the biases people go through in their academic career. So what, what is something that you think anyone applying to med school should focus on when they're writing their personal statement? Like what, what in particular would your advice be to write a successful personal statement for an admissions committee? So I'm gonna give you four letters, okay? C, M, M, we actually have a whole document on how to write a personal statement. 
we actually have examples of personal statements. I actually teach courses on personal statements and we actually read personal statements. So I have students who send me personal statements. I tear their personal statements to shreds and get them step-by-step step better because it's an exercise. People think writing a good personal statement happens on the first try. It's not. If you're a person who plays sports, you didn't get a good jump shot after you shot one shot. You had to practice. So your personal statement writing is something you're going to have to practice. And the more you practice and the more you get feedback and the more editing you do, you will get a strong personal statement that tells the story, number one, you want to tell, but tells the story that people want to read. Because if you turn your personal statement into Dr. Jasper, who's a faculty member who actually sits on an admissions committee, and it sounds generic and boring, ask me how long I'm going to read it. After about the third sentence, I'm throwing it in the trash. And you think I'm joking, but I'm, uh, I'm dead serious because I got to read 500 of these. So I don't have time to read boring stuff. I don't have time to read stuff that's going to sound redundant are repetitive from person to person. So I want the one that's gonna catch my attention. And we want you to have a good personal statement. We want you to tell your story, but we want you to work on it. So don't send me a personal statement. And you can ask one of my students who's a mentee of mine. She wrote her personal statement. She turned it into me, sent me an email with nothing on it. And I told her, I told her a new one in the sense of, I said, number one, don't ever send me an email without your name in it. Don't address anybody who you're trying to get help from without giving them their greeting and their proper respect. And I wasn't being Dr. Jasper because I want to actually flex on her. I was more so saying, if you email me and you're doing it wrong, imagine when you email somebody who you don't know, they're going to be like, who is this student who doesn't have proper etiquette, doesn't have an actual understanding of how to send an email. So we took it from the very, very beginning and we wrote her personal statement. I think she sent me seven drafts and now her personal statement is done. So the idea is you're going to work for this to get into medical school, to take care of people's families. You have to put in work. And if you're not wanting to work, then you don't want to be here because the work is going to be endless. But trust me, when you get to the other side, you're going to say, I understand it. And the thing, reason why I talk and sound and act the way I do is because I earned my degree. All right. So if I earn mine, it's nobody going to take it away from me. And I know my stuff. So I know you can do this. You just need that guidance. So I gave you those four letters and I hope you definitely understand that we want you to come over so we can help you get to this level. So you can be sitting on this Zoom chat in four or five years saying, look, I used to sit here and I heard this guy who ran his mouth for a long time. I think his name was Dr. Jasper. He talked all the time, but he said some good stuff that I kind of remember. And from that day, I think it kind of helped me get to where I need to get to. Nice. John, did that answer your questions, man? Yeah, he's got, you got great answers, great advice. And I hope I get to connect with him soon since he's a baby yeah. real long. Yeah, so I'm gonna put my actual email in the uh, chat while we're going to the next question, but I'm also put our email for the general uh, CMMP email for everybody. So if anybody wants to hit us up, they know where to find us. And we're also on social media. Um, we have uh, Instagram, Twitter, uh, LinkedIn, and Facebook. So definitely we're easy to find. You just got to know where to find us. Absolutely. Cool. All right. Now, so this is seldom, you know, that we have two doctors on the show. So Dr. Taylor, you got anything you want to give to us about uh, your time at UCSF? Absolutely. Again, um, Dr. Jasper said it all. I mean, he's giving you guys all the nuggets to be successful in your, you know, matriculation of going from wherever you're at now. And with my students, it's a lot of high school students. So they're working on that pathway. So one of the things that you talked about that was very instrumental is, um, and I also see it in the chat about even their name. Sometimes they uh, put their names in the chat and it's in lowercase. And I'm like, you need to assert yourself in knowing that you are important. Mm -hmm. So knowing that you are important, little things like 
making sure your name is in there in capital letters and not in lowercase letters says a lot about you. Absolutely. So, and understanding that and, and especially respectful to do that for someone else in doing so. So it's little things that we find that some people in higher places will throw your resume away. They will throw your, you know, letter of intent or whatever letters that you're building based on one simple mistake. And so uh, I try to hone in on those little small. Dr. Jasper. I'm sorry. I didn't hear the last part. I did hear the part. I heard I heard most of it, but you kind of cut out at the end. Yeah, I'm not able to hear you, Dr. Taylor. I think your so audio cool. went out, Dr. Taylor. Sorry, I, it's you know, it's the internet. Yeah. Um, here. We can um, hear you now. Okay. So again, I want to appreciate all the nuggets that you're, you know, sharing with them. Again, I second everything you said, and uh, I'm, I'm happy to have you here. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll say small things, like you said, real quickly, it's not necessarily how everyone is supposed to see you. They're going to find a reason to bias themselves and do things against you just because that's just the way people are taught and people are actually educated and raised. It's something called implicit bias, which just means they have a bias towards you before they even know it. So if they don't know the implicit bias, the things that are internal, they won't actually realize they're doing stuff that's negative towards you because in their mind, it's normal. So there's a whole coursework on implicit bias. You can read about it, but the idea is you have to give yourself the credit before other people will. And that's how you carry, you speak, you interact with people, stay humble, all of that, it makes a difference. Uh, I have a quick question for you, and it's kind of in, you know, in lines of my students. They're high school students. Yeah. Um, I understand from what I hear is you work with a lot of, you know, college students who are trying to get into medical school. Do you have a track where you support or work with students that are trying to get to college but know they want to go to medical school or they know they want to work in the healthcare, healthcare field? Yes, sir. So um, I know we got a very short time, so I'll answer it very quickly. We want high school students. At CMMP, we actually want to start at high school because we know high school is where you potentially start to formulate what you're going to do for the rest of your life. So if we can get students that are high school students that are interested in going into the medical field, even if you're not 100% sure, come and join and come and talk to us because you never know after you start talking to some of these doctors that sound, talk, come from where you come from, all of those things like you, you'll say, you know what, this is where I want to be. And I think that it helps a lot of people before they know it. Thank you. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And I did put all my information or our information in the group chat. Um, so obviously you all should be able to find us. But again, uh, I'm pretty sure that we are going to be around for a long time working with Wilo and uh, you know, we, we'd love to do what we can to help students wherever we can. Awesome, man. Mm -hmm. That's great. Maggie, you have uh, any more questions before we close out today? Yeah, I'm just curious if there's any kind of um, like partnership potential between Dr. Jasper and Dr. Taylor um, hey. and his class um, and then CMMP. 
I just say off the uh, top of my head, I feel like we can figure something out. Um, the good thing about being the CEO is you kind of make stuff up as you want to. So that's what happens when you're in charge. So since I'm technically in charge, we can figure something out. <laughs> so Absolutely. I feel like it's pretty easy. Hence why I say being an owner or being the actual person who leads is better than just being the employee or on the team. So think about it from that angle. And Dr. Taylor, we'd love to talk with you and figure something out. Absolutely. I look forward to it. Yes, sir. Actually, that sounds like a plan. Um, if anybody doesn't have any more questions, we're getting ready to wrap up. I see my uh, director over here giving me the go, no, go for launch. So uh, <laughs> we're getting ready to wrap it up. Uh, Dr. Jasmine, if you have anything else to share with our students from the mighty Knights of Castlemont, uh, you got a couple moments. Go for it. Yeah. So, um, again, I know I can be very long winded, so I'll keep it brief. I think the mindset that we've kind of spoke about or spoken about today is the thing I hope people who are on the call, whether you're a student who's in early part of high school, you're a postgraduate student, you've been out of school for 10 years, the mindset is going to determine what you're going to do. And if your mindset is appropriate, no one can stop you. As much as there's obstacles that will get in your way, you're unstoppable as long as your mindset remains uh, as such. So as much as it's hard, we get beaten down, we get discouraged, we get told that we're not good enough, erase all of that, surround yourself with the right mindset, the right people, and you will go as far as your mind can take you, okay? And I'm sure a lot of us have people in life say you could be anything you wanna be. I'm living proof of that because I knew I wanted to be a doctor at five years old. And I am a doctor today because the people around me and the mindset that I had has always been that I'm never gonna stop unless they literally make me stop. In order for me to get kicked out of school, they was gonna have to drag me out the building, okay? <laughs> if they drug me out the building, it was the only way I wasn't gonna be a doctor, okay? They could have put me on probation 10 times. I'm still gonna stay in there. So the idea is the mindset is what drives me. And I want people around me that have a similar mindset. So if you're a student, a doctor, you don't have to be a medical doctor. You just have to have the right mindset. We want you on CMMP squad and we want you to help us change the way the world works and change the way medicine will be. Man, thanks again, Dr. Jasper. Once again, we're honored to have you and uh, share this time and space with you. Dr. Taylor, thank you for coming in with your class and, and the Mighty Knights of Casamon. I really appreciate you, man. I appreciate everything you're doing for my hometown. So I just want to give you that love from here, man, straight from the WTS crew. And now we're coming to the end of the show. Like I said, we want to thank each and every one of you for joining us today. We also want to thank our sponsors, Toupay, We Lead Ours, Bay Area Seminoles, and the mighty OUSD for your continued support. Special shout out to all the parents and students across the globe. Big love for me. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Anchor, and YouTube. Give us a follow at We The Scenario Podcast, Mentoring on the Fly, and We Lead Ours. Thank you all once again, and we pray you have a beautiful week. See you next Thursday. We out of here. Peace.